Hi, Doug. This is Rob Smith from Integral Life. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm super excited to chat with you. Oh, great. I'm psyched to chat with you guys, too. This is a good opportunity to bring some communities together. I'm a huge fan of yours. I, I have to admit, I, you know, I don't watch a ton of YouTube, but I've seen some of the stuff you've done on YouTube, some of the other talks you've given, and they're, they're just fantastic. So just uh, to, to let the audience know here, I'm really lucky to be on the phone with Doug Rushkoff. Uh, he's a world-renowned media theorist and digital economist who, in my opinion, in addition to being one of the world's smartest commentators, uh, he also just released a new book called Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus, How Growth Became the Enemy of Prosperity. Love the book, and thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Let me start where this book grabbed me, which is, you know, I absolutely love the subtitle, How Growth Became the Enemy of Prosperity. I found myself jumping up and down saying, you know, yes, 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 when I saw that. I, I think the idea speaks to the central point of the book, which is that, you know, the extractive growth at all costs form of, of industrial capitalism that we've had um, up until now has kind of run its course and, and something new is emerging and as you point out in the book, it, it's going to have to emerge, given some of the problems that we're seeing. So first thing I'd ask you to do is just explain a little bit of how this sacred cow of growth has now become, in some ways, the ball and chain around our ankle in the 21st century. The easiest way to look at it is in a sort of modern guise. And that's really just that people have realized that they can make more money buying and selling businesses than they can through the businesses themselves. You know, it was an insight that uh, Jack Welch, the CEO of uh, General Electric, had in the 1980s. And he wrote and spoke about it, and it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't even challenged as any way, in any way unethical or strange. Basically, what he discovered was that General Electric made less money making and selling washing machines than they did lending money to people to buy those washing machines. So they figured, well, yep. let's sell off our washing machine business and just become more of a bank. You know, and that's really what they did till the crash of 2007 or 8. But what businesses are realizing is that being in finance of one kind or another is costs a whole lot less because you don't need any workers, you don't need to any mine any minerals out of the ground, you don't need supplies, you don't need consumers, you just need numbers, you just need connections to banks, you just need to be working with money somehow. So the financialization craze then found a very willing target in the digital economy, in the whole digital startup economy. There's a whole bunch of young people with great ideas and they want a little bit of seed money to bring their idea to life. And most of these kids, and I call them kids because, you know, people in their 20s had great ideas. Oh, I want to connect people in this new way. I want to have, let people make friends with each other over the Internet. I want people to be able to share their music, you know, whatever idea someone had. But what happened was they took money. They'll take money from a venture capitalist and then find out that the venture capitalist isn't looking to actually own this business and make money by operating the business, what they're looking to do is to sell the business. It's more like flip this house. You know, when you buy a house and you change it around a little bit and then try to sell it at an exorbitant profit, you know, for twice whatever you bought it, that's what the VCs were doing. So they'll buy something like a Twitter and then want to grow it so they can sell it at its new size, at its new valuation. 
But the problem with that is that by, by emphasizing growth over, even in business terms, revenue or value creation or what the company's doing, we end up robbing the companies of their ability to actually return value to anybody. So a company like Twitter, which makes $2 billion a year in revenue, which you would think that would be fine with almost anybody, <laughs> you know, that's considered an abject failure by Wall Street, mainly because it turns out that all you can make on a 140-character messaging app right now, all you can make on that is about $2 billion a year. You know, right. that should be fine. It doesn't cost that much to keep that thing going. That would be great. But the investors need growth so they can sell the company to the next round of investors. And that's really because, you know, and going back historically, it's because, as, as I've analyzed it anyway, it's because we have an interest-based monopoly currency system. Once the kings and queens of, of early Renaissance or late medieval Europe outlawed all sorts of local currencies and all the market monies and everything people used to transact and said, no, from now on, you have to borrow money from the central treasury at interest and pay back more than you borrowed. From that moment on, we were in a growth economy. If you have to pay back more than you borrowed, it means the economy has to grow. That works fine for you know, exploitative uh, colonial powers, for these empires you know, taking over America, North America, South America, Africa. As long as you could expand, that was fine. But what happened? You know, by World War II, there were no more regions, no more peoples to exploit and enslave. Those countries started pushing back and becoming nation states of their own, with their own problems, of course, but they started pushing back. So you know, it was really around Eisenhower's time that we thought, well, maybe digital technology will create a kind of a new virtual surface area on the marketplace, a new territory in which to expand. And it just so happens that territory you know, is human attention. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's really, I mean, there's so many threads that you've, you've got into here that I want to dive into. Um, and, and what you've talked about is, is now the move into what you call digital distributism, that that is the... The, the sort of era of not even post-industrial capitalism. It's sort of moving into a, a brand new era, and it's being driven by the advent of these digital technologies. I guess the question is, you know, and we're seeing it in the real income and, and these other, these other um, effects where we have winners and losers and have and have not, you know, how much more can growth and extractive-oriented growth wealth-producing activities push into through digital means and create enough wealth to satisfy I mean forget even seven or nine billion people how about just the 300 million that live in the US and we're seeing in the election of course very much sort of the centerpiece of this debate it you really know, can't it can't if we think about economic growth in this traditional 13th century printing press era you know with that mindset if we really do believe that corporations have a monopoly on business and that central banks have a monopoly on currency, then the only way we'll understand how to make money is through extraction. So a company like Uber or, or Amazon will look at their marketplace, whether it's taxi driving or book publishing, not as a marketplace to sustain and to, and to, and to support, but as a marketplace to suck dry of its value and then move on to another one. 
you know, it's the Walmart model where you move into a town, you undercut all of the local sellers by, you know, undercutting their prices and selling at a loss so everyone goes out of business. Then you're not only the only store in town, but the only employer in town. So you can pay people poverty wages and part-time salaries so that they don't get medical insurance or any benefits and eventually bankrupt the town. Now, it takes Walmart maybe 20 or 25 years to bankrupt you know, the town to the point where there's nothing left. And then they close the Walmart and move on to another area. You know, and that just doesn't work. And digital technology allows us to do that faster for sure. You know, so Amazon did to the book industry, uh, you know, it only took, you know, five or ten years for it to become the monopoly player in there as opposed to a Walmart where it took, you know, decades to do something like that. Or, you know, Uber could destroy the taxi business in, you know, in five years or less. And it didn't even matter. It doesn't really matter because they're not even in the taxi business. They just want to create a monopoly so they can then pivot into automated cars and robotic things. But what they don't understand is if they bankrupt the marketplace, then there's no more revenue for them. You know, so when I talk about uh, distributism, um, and this is the kind of thing that, that Ken would really like. You know, I, I kind of create this chart of these four phases of economic activity. Mm-hmm. So I look back, not as if, it's some, as if it's some golden age, but I look back somewhat admiringly on the mechanisms that emerged in the artisanal period. And that's really what I'm calling the first kind of people's economy. And in the artisanal economy, you know, people made things and sold them to one another. It was a peer-to-peer economy that was actually based on the Arab bazaar, they called it. When the crusaders came back from the wars, they then implemented the bazaar in Western Europe and called it the marketplace. And people would come and they had local currencies and all of their currencies, they, they, they were optimized for the for transaction, for the velocity of money, rather than the extraction of value. It's a bunch of people living in a town. They want to have an economy, so they want everyone to be trading with each other. And they all got wealthy, not because they were saving a lot of money, but because they were transacting so much. So I, you know, I'm going to buy some bread, and you're going to get some shoes, and she's going to get some chickens, and everybody's transacting, so everybody has everything. And it really scared the feudal lords who had been in charge for a thousand years and never you know, worked a day. Now we have a rising peasant class that became the burghers or what we now call you know, the bourgeois. They had mean words for these people, but it was the peasants who were becoming a new, uh, a first middle class. And so the aristocracy, the early kings and queens, they came up with really specific methods for quashing this artisanal economy. And, you know, as we said, it was the corporation which said really it was a chartered monopoly and the law was no one was allowed to do business in an industry except the single merchant that the king had picked. So now instead of making shoes and selling them, now you worked for Her Majesty's Royal Shoe Company. And so there was that you you really went from being a creator of value to being an employee. And at the same time, they invented central currency. So now instead of having uh, a peer-to-peer transactional economy, now we had a debt-based economy. And we moved into, you know, what what, you know, we would call the industrial age. 
in the industrial age was really about how do we disconnect workers from the value that they create. So instead of hiring the most skilled shoemaker to work in your company who might want, you know, 20 ducats an hour or whatever, you know, you want to get the guy from the, the Home Depot parking lot. You want to get the, uh, you know, the undocumented alien, bring them in, train them for 15 minutes how to do one thing in the shoemaking process, how to put in one nail so that you can fire him at a moment's notice and replace him with no cost. So industrialism was really about disconnecting people from the value they created. Now we've got digital technology. Flash forward 600 years later, and most of us thought in a digital age, oh, this is going to be great. Now we're going to return to peer-to-peer. We're going to have Etsy and Burning Man and eBay, and you know, <laughs> it's all going to come back. I'm going to work from home in my underwear and my own time. And you know, with a laptop, I can make an app, put it up on iTunes, and yay, here we go. You know, no money, no capital. That's not what we got. Instead, what we got is this kind of Uber, Amazon, startup, insane, um, insane amplification of capitalism, or what I would call digital industrialism. So we moved from an artisanal economy to an industrial economy to an digitally amplified industrial economy, where it's really second verse, same as the first, except louder and worse. You know, it's just yep. more extractive, more quickly, and we get these extreme divisions of wealth all the stuff that I wrote about, Thomas Piketty wrote about, David Graeber wrote about, Astor Taylor wrote about, really the, the power law dynamics of a digitally connected economy enact this stuff much, much faster to the point where people don't even have any value to spend. We don't, those of us who have no money to spend, the way we get stuff online is by giving our data. You know, we give, but that's how we pay. And when you pay with your data, then someone like Facebook will end up doing big data analysis on you and feeding you your most probable future before you even knew that you're going to go in that direction. You know, they can figure out maybe with 80% accuracy that you're going to go on a diet or you're going to question your gender or you're going to get divorced and they will start marketing you the most likely future because what they want to do is reduce your predictability. And in the process, they reduce your humanity. 20% of us were going to do something else, you know, but they want to get that number up. You know, they want to get their number of accuracy up from 80% accuracy to 90% accuracy. So all of a sudden, if they think you're going to go on a diet, your newsfeed will be filled with messages like, hey, are you feeling fat? Or have you looked in the mirror lately? And they're going to push more people toward that outcome, which is, you know, absolutely, it's the definition of anti-humanism. They're trying to make humans more like the machines. But what I'm looking forward to is kind of a fourth column in this chart, you know, is a fourth age. And that would be rather than using digital technology to amplify industrialism, we use it to retrieve the best mechanisms of the artisanal economy. And that's really the way renaissances work. You retrieve the values that were repressed the last time out. So digital distributism, I get it. I mean, digital, we know. I get the word distributism from the popes. You know, the popes of the early 1900s were asked to comment on, uh, on Marx and whether they agreed with Marx or whether they agreed with the capitalists. And they came up with something called distributism, which meant rather than you know, redistributing the spoils of capitalism after the injustice has been done, why don't we pre-distribute the means of production before the fact? So basically they were arguing that workers should own the means of production. 
Now, when they came up with it in the middle of the industrial age, that didn't make sense. You got a giant factory. What are the workers going to own that? It's owned by Rockefeller or Carnegie. You know, but today, now that we're doing all sorts of distributed production of things, and now that we're also returning to local production of things, we can start to imagine mechanisms like platform cooperatives or sharing banks or local currencies or you know, peer-to-peer exchanges that start to make sense. I'm feeling that the real bias of digital technology, of networks, is towards distribution. So we finally have really the technology and the platforms to do what it was that the popes were imagining, to reimagine the commons of that late medieval time in a, a digitally empowered civilization. Yeah, it's a beautiful vision, and I think you're right. I think the evidence shows that you know the the platform uh, technologies and some of the things that are going on in the examples we'll get to uh, in a few minutes show that that uh, those trends are certainly underway, particularly with some of the younger generations as they become entrepreneurs and technologists. 